1: The Star Trek comic book review with Donovan and Ken episode number 245 recorded August
0: 20th 2016 today we're covering ghost boogity boogity so these are the last three issues of the Star Trek next generation ghost miniseries five-parter yeah that came out in 2010 way back in 2010 yeah, uh, do you think it needed to be five issues? No. <laughs> <laughs> so just they're they're dense they're dense with dialogue and everything, but as far yeah. as uh, movement of the story, it, it seemed to slow down a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it's taken a long time to come to a conclusion. Uh, right.
1: Some of the the artwork is excellent. I think the artwork's very nice. Fantastic. Um, eye candy. It's just um, and and they're trying to be. I think they're trying to be non-pandering, like everything's got to be excitement and you got to have a, a real stimulating event to happen every once in a while. I mean, fairly frequently to hold a reader's interest. They're not doing that much here.
0: There is no big splash pages of just spaceship battles or anything like that? No, really. no, no, This is diplomacy and, you know, just dealing with a,
1: a troublesome planet with nations that don't get along with each other, and it's just—it's kind of all the things that sometimes people criticize Star Trek about.
0: <laughs> I don't
1: want to—I don't want to watch a, a movie about a bunch of aliens and stuff sitting around a big table talking about spatial politics. It's like, well, okay, I don't all want to see that either, but I don't just want to see uh, Buck Rogers either. Whatever. Right. And yeah, this is heavy on the politics.
0: This is heavy on the politics. That's for sure. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting story. It, it's, I, I told you offline that that I, I don't know. Maybe I'm a little jaded, and I, and you know, we've been doing this for a couple years now, a few years now, mm-hmm. and this was the first one where I was like really kind of struggling to uh, keep reading, <laughs> maintain so, interest. I guess I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm one of the people that you were just making fun of that uh <laughs> that i gotta have splashy 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 but uh <laughs> i don't think i'm that way but i mean i i did have a hard time like all right i gotta i gotta finish this book and then just like um you know and i, I what i was reading i was enjoying but then it was mm-hmm. just getting myself forcing myself to read it i was having a hard time yeah yeah they were going through a lot of
1: uh, a lot of events a lot of s- uh, stuff happening you know it's almost like get to the point you know, right. come on. I know some, you know, sometimes on TV shows where everything has to get done, uh, you know, in, in 45 minutes or whatever, however long it is. Everything's got to wrap up cleanly. Uh, right. You know, sometimes amazing things happen to move the narrative forward. Well, there wasn't that many amazing things moving this narrative forward. They took their time. They took their time. So but you had sure. to commend them for that. Yes, they took their time. Right. They, they weren't pandering to the uh, attention span
0: deficit. Out. Right. Uh, well, you want to just get into it and see what we thought about each individual issue? Let's do it. Let's wrap it up.
1: All right. Uh, so I'm doing issue number three. There weren't individual issue titles, so this is just number three. This one was published January 2010. And the writer is Xander Cannon. Love the first name. One of my favorite characters on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Art by Javier Aranda, inks by Mark Ruida, colors by John Hunt, letterer Neil Yataki editor Scott Dunbar, covers by Joe Caroni. The regular cover presents Picard falling in terror in an all-white place. The IDW light bulb logo is in the upper left hand corner. Next to it is the next generation title with the ghosts issue title. The retailer incentive virgin cover is the same as the regular cover, but with no text or the IDW logo. Data is in the Grand Joulette archives with Speaker Kajal as he is completing his report on the Julette people. Data is called back to the Enterprise to help deal with an emergency and ask to bring Kajal with him. They return to the ship and enter the bridge as a beaten and bloody wharf is displayed on the view screen by his Daroche captors. They really did a number on him. Picard is not happy and tells Kajal of their demands to move the ship away from over the Daroche nation and to turn over Kajal and the politician currently accompanying him. If not met, Worf will be killed. Kajal agrees to the first demand, but gets a little freaked out over the second. Picard assures him the Federation does not accede to the demands of terrorists, but they do agree to move the ship. Riker asks Kajal to call upon their knowledge of the Daroche to find out where Worf is being held. Meanwhile, in a secure secret location at Daroche, Warwick enters Worf's cell and berates the bound and beaten Klingon, who is kneeling on the ground. Worf explains he is not kneeling for his life to any Deroche, but particularly to him. Worf calls Warwick on his treachery. He knows Worf did not kill his father, but is using him as a scapegoat to his people and bargaining chip to the Julette and the Federation. Warwick admits to nothing and makes it plain he would be very happy to send Worf back to the Enterprise dead if her demands are not met. Meanwhile, in the Enterprise sickbay, Dr. Kresher and Deanna are with researcher Everred. He is much more calm now and notices his missing arm and leg parts as K'Jal and Daron enters to finally see their brave survivor. They are cordial and feign concern, but somehow it does not feel quite genuine. They want to know when they can get Everard back, but Doctor Crusher says not for a while. They accept it, but before they leave, Kajal gets in close to Everard and, in wording that sounds like traditional chant, essentially tells Everard to shut his mouth and tell them nothing. From that point on, Everard stops speaking to Crusher and Troy. Meanwhile, on the bridge, Data is running scans for Worf. He reports the information Kajal gave him was helpful but did not demonstrate any unique knowledge of the DeRoche. Data reports the scans will take time to narrow down Worf's location. He goes on to tell Riker that A. Though the Kijal told them the Zor ore is the foundation to their swift technology advances, there is little information about it in their archives. B. There is the floor of a building that is closed off to all but authorized personnel that is likely to house most of their secrets about the ore and its properties. C. Kajal lied to Riker when he said the ore in the containment chamber powers their ship. The ship is powered by a matter antimatter reactor and in fact pumps power into the ore in the chamber. It is highly likely a weapon that was used to kill off the members of the Daroche leadership, including Elder Kalkas. Riker is sick of Joulette lies. Data suggests that if they can prove the Joulette used a space-based weapon to kill off their opposition, it might prove the Federation is neutral, and they might release Worf. The Daroche hail the Enterprise. A channel is open, and they start whining about Picard, not moving the ship or delivering Kajal and Daron to them. Picard makes it plain. They will not accede to terrorist demands no matter how Warwick threatens Worf's life. Worf is innocent of Warwick's attempts to pin the murder on him. If Worf is killed in this cowardly manner, Picard says it will be a warrior's death against overwhelming force. He wishes Warf well in Stovalkor. After Warwick shuts down Channel, Picard and company plays back the video and note the looks of uncertainty and guilt on Warwick's warriors' faces. If they can prove Worf's innocence, Warwick's lies will be exposed, and maybe she will lose her influence with her people to the point that they can get Worf back. Riker takes the initiative and calls Geordi to meet him in Transporter Room 3. Riker says they have something to prove. Meanwhile in sickbay, Everud won't talk, despite Crusher's best efforts. Using Data's incredibly complete report on Julette, she finds an entry about Kerr Everard. Kerr is the survivor's wife, and deceased for some reasons unknown. She was a prize-winning geologist who developed means of using refined ore to output directed energy beams. Obviously, Dijal and Darren's assertions that Everard was a bachelor was fiction. Deanna says Kerr may not be dead. They could help bring her back. He could be reunited with his wife again. Meanwhile, Riker and Geordi are on the floor of the Gillette Research Center that likely houses the results of the applied zor Ore research. Behind a heavy secure door, Riker and Geordi find a stripped lab, the connectors into the workstation still protruding through the floor. They return to the ship empty-handed. Meanwhile in sickbay, the survivor, Ul Everud, is spilling the beans. He tells of the research he and his wife Kerr were conducting. The many important uses they are finding the strange ore. While working with the ore, Ull made a terrible mistake. He split the ore and it released energy. Luckily, no one was hurt in the incident. However, another night at the same time of Ull's original accident, an energy swept through the lab and Kerr was gone. The energy Ull released did not dissipate but stayed in the exact same location in space. But as the planet spins on its axis, it sweeps around the planet, forming a ring of death. It killed his wife and crew. Unaware of this new information, Riker wants to take an away team with tricorders to find Worf. Picard says it's too risky. Suddenly they are informed that DeRoche have launched approximately 100 missiles at them. Further trajectory analysis confirms the target is the Joulette ship. They move closer to the Joulette ship and extend their shields around it. Though a few missiles of that yield can be repelled easily by the shields, they are not so sure about a hundred. All non-essential power is diverted to the shields. The field protecting Everrun goes down, and the ghosts, including his wife, return to torment him. The missiles impact off the shields. The shields protected them, but sensors pick up a wave of Zor energy in direct alignment with the Joulette ship. In their current position, it will pass through the Enterprise. As it passes through the ship, Picard fulfills prophecy. He disappears. He becomes a ghost. To be continued.
0: A ghost. A ghost. Yeah, so
1: that was kind of cool how you found out a few issues ago, right? I guess last issue, I don't remember exactly that <laughs> Picard was one of the ghosts. So now to actually, but then you're saying, well, how could how could he be a ghost? He's standing right here. He's Picard, uh, right? And then now we finally see how it happens. It's kind of cool. It's interesting. It took a long time to get here, mind you, <laughs> with a lot of talk in between.
0: But um, right. yeah. We so, know. well, we know how he got there, but is there a time displacement thing where he was being seen as a ghost before he actually was a ghost? Must be. Must well, be. A lot, still a lot of questions. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't think... Did they ever really explain that time
1: bit of it? I'm not sure. Anyway, well, I guess we'll find out as we go through
0: the issues. Right. So you and your synopsis... Um, was making the same mistake I think we made last week, in which we kept referring to the uh, Durash leader as a he. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely
1: a she. Yeah, but at the beginning that was not obvious to me.
0: No, I just I just thought he was just some punk guy kid. Right. Yeah, because she's wearing armor, so it's you know you, there's none of the, you know you don't you can't tell by looking at them physically, and the name doesn't really scream. I'm a girl. Right. Um, so, <laughs> and then I guess it was just, you know, I, I, I don't know, just the way Worf was talking to her about, you need to honor your father and blah, blah, blah in the uh, issue before he got uh, kidnapped. Uh, I always just assumed it was a dude until, until this issue. Right. So, anyways, just, just correcting our previous mistake in the last episode. Indeed. Indeed. So, I did like that Worf. Is chained to a giant ball. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, very medieval, right? Kind of thing. Yeah, even though they have apparently the resources to launch a hundred missiles, in every other way they look very backwards in their their use of technology and everything.
0: Right. But seeing Wharf there beaten uh, and he's kneeling there in the middle of this little hut. I mean, and right. it looks like a straw hut type thing. Uh, it, it it is a little visceral to think that the only thing in that room is Worf, the ball he's chained to, and, a single chair, and, and a bucket a piss bucket a honey bucket
1: is that what they're called? Uh, up in Alaska it is
0: uh. <laughs> <laughs> well I assume that's what the bucket's for <laughs> that's what I assume, I'm assuming they're not feeding him in a bucket oh I hope not <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so I and and the way they've got
1: wharf drawn all beaten up is you know, it looks pretty kind of realistic, right, yeah, and he's got the kind of pink
0: lavender um blood
1: on his playing on stuff. blood,
0: yeah, stuff. yes, yes,, so. yeah, and even like his pips on his shirt, one seems to be kind of ripped out and dangling, oh yeah, uh, good point. Yeah, I mean, it's a, there's a lot of detail there. Right. Uh, the you can feel his ripped. distress. Yes. Yeah.
1: Say His uniform is definitely ripped. Not Kirk-level ripped, mind you, but it's got multiple <laughs> rips. Right. So, uh, I thought that was a very cool, almost full-page drawing of the, all those missiles coming at the uh, at the Enterprise and just, like,
0: impacting off the shields. That looked pretty cool. Yeah, it looked cool when they were coming up from the planet, and then it looked cool when they were smashing in on the next page. Right. Yeah, looks nice. Like, eh, no problem. Low-tech. Low-tech missiles.
1: Ha! Pshaw.
0: Right, but then then the little zap of the green green thing, or blue, blue energy that uh, took away Picard is uh, a little yeah. more advanced than those little missiles. Well, yeah, okay, so that whole thing
1: took a little while to understand. First off, when they start talking about the lab they were in, where the mistake was made, and then the wife was swept away, Kerr, I guess her name is. Right, Kerr. It's like, okay, hold on a second. Are they still in that building on the planet? Or do they mean that when all this happened, they were in the ship? And it's like, you know, doing all this research. And it's like, Oh, obviously they were in the
0: ship. Okay, but that wasn't clear to me. Well, I took it that Kerr was probably on the planet, and and Ull was on the ship when he had his accident because it was it's at different times, right? Well, okay, so you, I think we both might have a
1: little confusion on here. So, since the Zoror, don't you love saying that Zoror? Zoror, right? Um, obviously, the accident happened in space.
0: The latest energy. accident
1: did. Well, okay, hold on a second. So I thought the whole... Okay, so I thought the whole point of that residual energy zor or thing for when it was split
0: is that it stayed in exactly the same place in space. Right, and then they, they keep saying that they as they go around in orbit, they keep hitting the same place. Exactly. So the original accident must have happened
1: in space... And she must have likewise been in space. She must have been in the ship when she was swept away. Because uh, I think the point they're trying to make is that energy is like a, at a fixed point in space. Right. So, you know, it it couldn't be at building level and then move up to space. I don't right. know
0: from the way they were described. So that was kind of confusing. To me. Well, yeah, it's still confusing because cause there's people that have never been in space that are... Getting zapped by the blue stuff. So how are they? Oh, why are they getting zapped up? Well,
1: they're well, they're getting zapped because part of their research figured out a way to take the Zor ore and take its energy and you know shoot it in a, in a directed energy weapon. She got like an Kerr got an award for that. Right. So that must be directed energy weapon. Hey, laser beam. You know, whatever. Not maybe not. La- that's just an example of a corrected energy weapon. Right. So they figured out a way to shoot Zor or energy, from and the that's ship. from from the ship apparently.
0: And they're right. taking people out. Okay, that are on the planet. So, all right. So yes. Yeah, so she must have been on the ship too. Right. So
1: it took me a little while to figure that out though, because it was not obvious from the book, in my opinion. Mm.
0: No, I, I had some confusion on it too. Yeah. All right, uh, I don't have anything else on this issue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I uh, really liked the full-page Green Hornet ad
1: towards the back of the book. I thought that was very cool. The art was very cool, and it was interesting seeing that it was written by Kevin Smith.
0: So, yeah, he wrote he wrote some of the 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 Green Hornet uh, reimagining with Cato being a woman. Oh, really? Is that yeah. that's what it was? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Di- Dynamite did a—I uh, don't know—that they seem to have grabbed up a lot of the um, public domain characters here over the last several years. Mm-hmm. So they have, uh, you know, in addition to—I don't think Green Hornet's public domain, but he might be. But they also have like uh, the Phantom and Tarzan and uh, John Carter and things like, like that that that, uh, that they're right. doing comic books on. Uh. So they build quite a little niche just doing retro stuff. Right. Yeah, and it looks like they're do, doing some
1: interesting stuff because at least the drawing, I mean, uh, except for the fact that it looks like he's throwing a dart. <laughs> you know, like a pub dart. Oh, right, yeah. Um, his, from his face and stuff, like where he's like screaming or something in, in attack. And I, he looks pretty, you know,
0: looks pretty bad. Man, that's an Alex Ross cover, so you're you better not say anything bad about it. Well, no, I mean, I, you
1: know, he looks bad ass. Gotcha. You know, <laughs> no, I, I, I'm not saying it looks bad. You know, I, you know what I mean? I know what you mean. Don't mess with me. Don't mess with me, man. But that looks pretty really cool. I like. It. And now that you mentioned that Cato's a, a girl, uh mm-hmm. yeah, I can see that kind of now. I didn't see it from when I was first looking at it.
0: Right cool yeah i've never read the the green hornet stuff uh, unfortunately but uh mm-hmm. i've read some of the other dynamite stuff and, and it's pretty good right uh it's odd that there's a dynamite ad and an idw book yeah are they like they're not partners or anything are they Mm-mm, no
1: so i guess hey dynamite has money they want to put an ad in well okay I, I guess dynamite's money is as good as anybody else's to uh IDW, huh?
0: Mm, possibly.
1: Yeah. Very open-minded of them. Okay, that's all I have to say. Me too. Let's,
0: let's, all right. let's go to number four. Let's see what happens. So, uh, Star Trek Next Generation Ghosts, number four. Uh, this has a cover date of February 2010. All the art staff and writing staffs the same as issue three, so I won't go through that. So the cover shows the Enterprise Bridge uh, with Picard... Pointing very angrily at Riker while an Asian man looks very surprised from the tactical station. And then there's a virgin cover which just doesn't have any of the logos or uh, barcodes or titles. Alright, so the story starts with uh, Riker having a few words with leaders of both countries separately. So he's, he's trying to figure out what happened to Picard in the last issue. Uh, Neither of the governments know anything about what happened to Picard. Riker speculates that the injured Ool is their way to contact Picard and the other ghosts from the other side. And he orders Troy and Crusher to do everything they can to help him. Meanwhile, Picard finds himself and all the other missing blue aliens on a completely new plane of existence. That's depicted as just being a white plane that goes on forever I'm going to refer to this as the Zor dimension he and all of the others seem to be arriving at the same time even though some of these men and women have been gone for 20 plus years they all spread out and try to find Ul's missing arm and leg eventually they find it and Ul's wife holds his hand and she can feel that he's gripping her back Back in the real universe on the bridge of the Enterprise, Riker's informed of another buildup of Zor energy from the Julientan ship that's also there in orbit. Fearing a wave like the one that they lost Picard to, Riker beams everybody off that little ship and then destroys it. The Dorsh leader congratulates Riker via the telecom. She sees this as the Federation giving in to her demands... So that she will release Worf. Riker says that's not the case. And that they will not be dealing with terrorists. And cut the transmission. In the Zor dimension. Ul and his wife. Whose name is Kar. Are able to communicate using a form of code. Via touch on his hand. In this dimension. And his body in the other dimension. Will this be enough to free Picard and the others? Find out next issue. To be concluded. (laughs) Uh, good job of skipping over the uh, meandering (laughs) details Donovan (laughs) yes it's a synopsis Uh, it is very much a synopsis Uh, yes there's more mumbo jumbo back and forth oh tons of it a lot of talking heads Mm -hmm. but those are the high, high points exactly I was just saying this is just really setting up the conclusion of the story now that
1: we finally see where Picard truly is and know that, oh,
0: time-wise, things seem to be going very slowly in this pocket dimension,
1: whatever the heck it is.
0: Not just slowly. It just seems like every time somebody gets zapped, they always go back to the same back point. in the same place. same place. Which doesn't really make sense because this guy has been seeing ghosts for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, now she's touching his hand. In her time, mm-hmm. so does that mean that he's feeling the hand be untouched at that same time in our time in the normal time, or is she touching his hand from back right before right when he first had the accident? Oh. I, I, I'm, I'm still really confused on how that correlation from the time within <clears throat> the Zor universe to the our universe fits. Well,
1: Donovan, it's obvious. He is the gateway between both dimensions. Come on. Right. And so he is the nexus. He is the focal point. Everything works the way you'd expect. If you didn't think too much, everything works the way the story wants it to because he is the focal point that bridges
0: both dimensions. I get that. I get that Uh, he's the bridge. Just doesn't make sense. Yeah, at first I really liked, you know, how I was moved when the wife was holding her husband's hand. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and and all the dialogue that I cut out where, you know, she's thinking, oh, it's been 20 years. I've been gone 20 years. He's probably moved on and, you know, uh, he probably doesn't even remember me. Exactly. And then, but for her, it's just been a couple minutes since she had the accident. So I, I loved that she finds him and she's holding his hand and then, you know, she's coding back to him and all he says back is, I miss you, or something like that. It's a very moving moment, but it doesn't make sense.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And there are a few, there's a few, okay, so there's a few moments like that between those two in the remaining uh, issues. Uh, Right. And, again,
0: it doesn't make that much sense, even later, but. (laughs) But I wanted to, because they're good moments. They're good, like, tear-jerking moments. Mm Mm-hmm. And yet, if you think about them too hard, they just don't fit in with, you know, that he's been seeing her for, you know, ever since he had the accident, which was, you know, hours or days ago. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how much Donovan, time Donovan, passed. Donovan.
1: You're applying your own simple, limited <laughs> template of, ex- of experience upon something that is beyond us in complexity. And, That's uh, true. Blah, 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 it, blah. Is, it is
0: timey-wimey. It's very timey. Exactly. It's very timey whimy. So I just go with it. Just enjoy the the feels that the scene gives me and not think too much about it. Exactly. Take Austin Powers' uh, advice. (laughs) Right.
1: So I love it how Riker is really taking over very effectively in the captain's absence. So, you know, right away, within minutes after losing Picard, you know, he's... Talking with Deanna about what they need to do to try to uh, deal with uh, dear uh, you know, what they need to do trying to uh, get more information out of the survivor, and then uh, then he's dealing with Deeran, uh and his lies, and then he's making plans with Jordy and the rest of the bridge crew. I mean, he's 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 rainmaking. He's he's doing as much as he can on, on multiple fronts. Right, uh, which is really cool. And then near the end of the issue, uh, man, that's ex- that is decisive stuff. Uh, when he's dealing with Dieron, and then uh, you know, who, who's obviously shooting the Zora energy beam at Sickbay. It's obvious they know it's happening. Right. So, uh, so man, that's fast. He knows that somebody is being shot, probably the survivor, and he's going to take it out. And so. The heck with extending shields or something like that. We're just going to go ahead and uh, blow up the ship, right? (laughs) But but first they transported them out into uh, into the brig. Straight into the brig. Exactly. So that's Willie. You are all over it. Fast, decisive, nice.
0: Yeah. No, I I like that part. And but it did get me to wondering, you know, how fast? I mean, this seems to be like minutes, if not. Seconds after Picard disappears, that right. that the that he's making all these calls, and you know he's like giving Troy orders and Crusher orders and Geordi yep. orders. Yep. And I was thinking, do they know Picard's gone? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they might not. I mean, right. unless,
1: unless there was some shipwide broadcast or something. Who knows?
0: Right. But, but would you broadcast that like seconds after the Picard's disappearance, yeah. ladies and gentlemen? Just letting you know, <laughs> the captain's been swept away Tonight's. Performance will be captained by Riker. <laughs> exactly. No, he's just taking charge, and they're not even questioning. And they're like, okay, yeah, sure. Tell the captain hi." Right. Oh, what, he's gone? What, what? You could have said that at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> I did like how uh, in the uh, Zor universe, all the bickering and stuff from all the people, and, yep. you know, they're like, hey... You're not, you're not. What's his name? Because he was a lot older, or he's a lot younger than you. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, some of that, you know, bickering and backstabbing and stuff was still kind of funny. Yeah. That they're still fighting in this Zor universe. Yep. Yep. Well, they're people that are used to fighting, but they're even fighting amongst themselves. Like they're part of the same faction, and they're still like, I know, I'm the leader now because you're dead.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly ah boy okay so I also like the angle Riker was taking when he was dealing with Warwick you know the whole thing about you know forget about all this other stuff We let's, one leader to another like watch my eyes you know we the next thing you do is incredibly important you know I, I like the way Riker is trying to deal with Warwick
0: it's yeah, not working, but, but, but... She's not having any of it, though. Uh-uh.
1: No. But I think that's very... That's a very good way of trying to get through to uh,
0: this off-the-rails <laughs> warrior woman. Right. Yeah, I'm thinking that when her dad comes back, he's not going to be too pleased with her, though. Well, as far as she knows, he's dead. So. She's about to get grounded. <laughs> <laughs> Right, but she doesn't
1: expect he's ever going to come back, so.
0: No. No.
1: No, She's solidifying her power. Uh, Yeah. Solidifying her power and not expecting to see Daddy or anybody else come back. so.
0: So, I got a question. So, Jordy, last issue, or last week's issue, he created, you know, what I thought was a bubble around... UL's uh, head of some sort to keep mm-hmm. the ghosts from being in his perspective and things like that. Yeah. So they could talk. Uh, right. But, but here they say that the reason why they didn't detect the Zor energy that took up Picard was because they had the dampener of the, the Zor dampener or whatever uh, throughout the ship. And so I guess it wasn't just his head. It was the whole ship. And the only place that he was not dampening it was his arm and leg stumps. Uh, I wasn't quite clear on what was going on there. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure about that
1: dampening field being all over the ship. I'm not sure about that.
0: Right, but I mean, but they did say that was the reason why they didn't detect the uh, the energy that hit Picard. Right. Is is that what they said?
1: I thought it was okay i uh yeah, maybe that maybe that's what then maybe that was their justification, I don't know,,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but you know I thought they did detect it, um, but it was too late, so I thought they said, oh, there's something out there, and sWAT too late, can't do anything about it. Picard's gone, right. Because they were, Jordy did fix the uh, sensors or retuned at least the internal sensors, if not the external sensors, to look
0: for Zor or, or Zor Energy, right? Right. Zor Energy. Yeah, in the in a couple issues ago, right? Right.
1: Um, so I thought I thought they might have detected it, but too late. But oh, okay. Maybe not.
0: I don't know. But, I just thought that was what Jordy said, but okay. Yeah.
1: Well, they had to shut it all down when they were being attacked, right?
0: Um, I thought they, I thought they had to shut it down because they had to divert all the power to the shields. Oh, okay. So that, and then that's what got uh, him, him going again up. with the with the go. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just still trying to figure out why then. Why did Picard get sucked up? But I guess who knows? Who cares? Let's just yeah, up. yeah. <laughs> He had to get sucked up. And he had to be in exactly the right place. And it
1: would only be a really small place to would only, car- only carry one man away and not
0: more of the crew. So, right. quite a dink. Well, obviously it's coming from the little ship. It's some sort of focused beam, like you said. They were aiming at the command station. Or do you still think it was an accident? I, do you think Picard got sucked up by accident? Yeah. Yeah, he okay. did.
1: Because that... So that centralized field from the original, that it's like I a think, small a small pocket of energy, uh, right. zor energy that was released by Ull's original mistake, right, is just hanging out there at the exact at an exact spot in space, and then as the uh, ship goes around the planet, and as the planet revolves, they're they're hitting it. And that's what took his wife, and it continues to be there, you know. And that's what took Picard, because they moved the ship into the same orbit to protect the research ship. And that's why he was aligned and got swept away, almost like the Nexus, uh, by that pocket of, uh, of still uh, Zora energy.
0: So you were feeling a little bit of Nexus? Uh... Definitely a little Nexus vibe. Yeah. Especially with the whole time moves differently here. Exactly. Exactly. Kept expecting Shatner to show up chopping (laughs) wood or something. (laughs) Chopping wood, making eggs.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so that was, uh, you know, that whole pocket dimension where everything's like white and stuff. It's like, oh my God, that would get boring so fast.
0: Well, fortunately, you're not there long because everybody shows up at the same time regardless and you're just there if you exact boy it sure would be terrible to be roomed there forever wouldn't it it would suck oh my gosh
1: oh we'll see what happens
0: well and, and but they seem to have devices so I guess if you were holding a game boy then ah! you'd have at least the game boy forever
1: ah, exactly your battery would last forever I but don't I don't
0: I mean I'm looking at all these guys in this issue and I don't see them holding a tablet at all no. Yeah, we'll find one Yet. in the next issue. Exactly.
1: And by the way, where'd the floor come from? So well, this is like, like some null space or something? I mean, I just find it fascinating that there is gravity, and there is a floor in this white dimension. Right.
0: Of course. Because then it would just be too confusing. Exactly. Everybody be floating around.
1: Hey, how we get around? We can't walk. Like, okay. I guess let
0: have to have a floor in this story. Okay. Well, the same thing goes with uh, that episode where Jordy got cloaked, where he was out of phase. Right. You know, he could walk right through a wall, but he never fell through deck plating. Exactly. <laughs> How does that work? Yeah. Because the writer didn't want it to be exactly. Let's not talk about that. All right, so my last thing is back to what I said a couple of issues ago. Um, the, the stumps, the arms, the arm and the legs that are here. Um, so if, if he moves around in the real universe, will his legs be moving around too, or are they just still going to lay here? I would think they'd be moving in the, uh, in the other universe. Right. Like,
1: like for example, I mean, they took him. I mean, he was on the ship, Right. Supposedly, right. in a puddle of blood, which that turned out to be BS, right. and they beamed him to sickbay, and so there he is, laying on the, uh, you know, on the sickbay uh, bed. Right. So, I would think that his position would have moved, in, um, you know, in the alternate dimension too. Right. But that's interesting too, because
0: he's on a ship, and that ship is moving. Right. Right. Yeah. Good point. Not only is so, he yeah is he he's just moving through space and if this is supposed to be the same space just no nah, is this supposed to be the same exact space and time what is i mean is this supposed to be like you know yeah coordinate wise it's supposed to be the same space right that they're in just in another different dip- dimension yeah i guess i guess i mean they're not they're not making it very clear on that point yeah, I was thinking more if like he sets up. Will his will his will his arm start? You know, going at a ninety degree angle to the floor, um, instead of him just laying there and the arm just laying there. But exactly. Yeah, that's a I good question. Because another
1: thing is, technically speaking, we talk about they talk about the Zor energy that was released being in exactly the same position, and it's like. It's actually the ship that passes through it or passed through it when Kerr was taken. Mm-hmm. But technically speaking, it's keeping the exact position in space relative to the planet. Because technically speaking, Which we're the all planet moving. Spinning around, yeah. Right, because we're all moving incredibly fast. I mean the the universe is expanding at a very fast speed. So really, technically speaking, we're all moving. You may be sitting I mean, even if the Earth wasn't spinning, the entire universe is expanding, and the Earth and the uh, the solar system, everything is moving at a at a hellacious speed. Although we can't don't really feel that. You know what I'm saying? I hear you. So, if that Zor energy is truly fixed in space, then uh, we that that planet should have moved away from it a long time ago.
0: <laughs> right. If you know what I'm trying to say. All right. I know what you're trying to say, and okay. yes, I agree. I just... That just occurred to me. Yeah, well, it says that it's still so. in orbit, so I'm assuming that that means that no matter where around the sun it goes or where around the universe the planet goes, it's always going to be in orbit of that planet, but that doesn't really make sense. Well, it, there's another good point. Okay, so... The planet's spinning. Yes, you're correct.
1: The planet is spinning. But... the So... But if you think about the fact that the planet is revolving around the sun of that system, that's another example where that zor energy can't be fixed in space. It's got to be fixed in space relative to the center of the planet, if you know what I mean. I, yeah, right. Okay. Well, Doesn't make that's sense. That's not, not, but... not, not, <laughs> not overthink. This. All right. So my last thing that I want to say is, that Diron is a real piece of work. Now I didn't get this until later, but it's really Diron who's doing all this stuff as far as knocking off people. And and what Kajal, is that his name? I think it's Kijal. The, uh, the the actual leader, the, right. the the high speaker or whatever he's called. In actuality, it's like he doesn't really know that he's that all the stuff that, that Diron's doing. So I really didn't get that until I read this particular issue a few times. Um, and especially the part where Dearon, uh this wasn't included in your summary, but because you can't include everything. But Diron is like talking about, oh, you know what? You know, we really don't need the Federation. You know, with all this Zor technology we're doing, you know, it's probably better. We're such a young race, and we should be able to make our mistakes, including uh, using the Zor technology in terrible ways. Like, eh, we don't need the Federation. So it was like, man, that guy's got an ego going. Right. Which I guess you'd need if your uh, plan is to take out the leaders of your opposition so you can take them over. So I guess that's... uh, Yes, that all fits, and and De'Ron is the real bad guy, not Kijal. Although Kijal is kind of a jerk too, but not. <laughs> doesn't turn out he's that as big a jerk as Diron.
0: So that was right. something that took me a while to figure out. A lot of intrigue going on. A lot of everybody has their own agenda, and, and nobody knows the whole story. Exactly. But will we know the whole whole story next issue? Well, we'd better because it's the last one. You ready? I'm ready. Let's
1: do it. So, this is the finale Ghosts, number five. Published date March 2010. The regular cover presents data likely on a planet's surface with phaser drawn and peering around the corner of an old looking alien building as big robot looking entities holding spears are about. The title is at the top with the IDW logo. The retailer incentive virgin cover is the same as a regular cover, but with no text or logo. Riker's Log recaps the events from the last issue. He says their attempts at diplomacy have so far failed, and with Worf's execution happening at sundown, they're running out of time. Though Captain Picard may not have approved of it, he has gone ahead and put plans in motion for far more direct action. Data has been deployed to the Daroche city for more direct and aggressive investigation of the likeliest of possible solutions. Riker goes on to say that Picard was deposited into the same pocket dimension as the Daroche and Juliet victims. They found a way to use Ool Everund, the man between dimensions, as a conduit through which to communicate. But what can they say to one another to get them back into our dimension. Meanwhile in sickbay, Geordi is taking down seemingly random numbers that ool is speaking. They hope they are coordinates to the victim's location, but they make no sense to Geordi as coordinates. Dr. Crusher notices that more of ool's leg has just disappeared. More of him seems to be slipping into the pocket universe. If all of him goes, they will lose their only means of communication Meanwhile, in the pocket universe, we find out they did complete sending the coordinates of their location in the pocket universe via UL. Kerr talks about how confusing the coordinates generated by the tricorder-like machine she is holding is. She talks about her high hopes for the Zor energy, all the good it could have done for their world. But the older Joulette scientist chastises her for being naïve and points to the group of Deroche leaders standing not far from them. He says that is the obvious killer application for her raw research, getting rid of the obstacle standing in the way of their planet's progress from barbarism. Kerr and Picard are repulsed by their perversion of her work. Kerr feels great guilt as the leader, A-Hole, tells her they could not have done it without her. Meanwhile on the bridge, Warwick is transmitting a video feed of her pointing to Worf, who is in chains and kneeling. She is chiding Riker, saying he is running out of time. She says Riker met one of her demands, so why not just give her Daron and Kijal and get Worf back? Riker says, no deal. will be made at gunpoint. Transmission ends. Warwick appears to have Riker by the short hairs, but Riker contacts Data, who is on the planet, and O'Brien, who is in the transporter room. Essentially, tracing Warwick's call via equipment, Data has positioned in at least three positions in the city. Now they know within a three-kilometer radius where the transmission came from, and therefore Warwick's location. They have 44 minutes until sundown to narrow down the three-kilometer radius... To an exact building. Forty-four minutes pass. The executioner, with a huge curved axe, enters the room Worf is in. Worf stares him in the eye and knows it's now or never. Worf completed working his hands through the manacles. They have held him fast too long. His hands are free and springs into action, violently attacking the executioner. A surprise and fearful... Warwick calls for more men to subdue Worf. They grab Worf, but not before he beats his executioner bloody. Worf thinks he has only gained a delay in his execution. Meanwhile in sickbay, Geordi reports the transporters are powered up and the coordinates are entered into the nav computer. The numbers still don't make sense to even the computer, so tracking is not precise. Geordi notices Ool has six fingers, not five, and realizes the Joulette may use a base 12 numbering system as opposed to our base 10 system. He converts the coordinates to base 10, assuming they are in base 12, and it works. They make sense now. Meanwhile on the planet, the beaten and bloodied executioner is kicked out of the room as Warwick takes his axe to do the job herself. As the visibly wounded Doroche leaves the building, data rounds the corner to see this odd sight. Data reports to the Enterprise that the search has narrowed. In the pocket dimension, Picard and company see transporter beams around them, attempting to lock onto them, but missing. They must refine their targeting. Picard tells Beale, the lead researcher, he must refine the coordinates. He does so and tells Kerr so she can communicate through Ool, who has almost completed his transition to the pocket universe. It works, and in tubes, they begin to transport back to the Enterprise. Kerr says she is not going. Picard gives up trying to change her mind. He and Elder Kalkus transport out. Meanwhile, in the Enterprise transporter, Riker gets the coordinates from Data but O'Brien says they can't grab Worf and complete transporting the captain and an unidentified Daroche at the same time. Meanwhile on the planet, Warwick has the axe up high and ready to swing it down to deliver the death blow. Suddenly, a shimmering white apparition appears in the room, making a familiar sound. It takes shape into Picard and Kalkus. Riker looked at his options, and gave the order to transport Picard and the Duroche to the site of Worf's execution. Later in sickbay, Picard says the sight of her presumed dead father appearing in front of her, very much alive, was a shock to Warwick. She dropped the axe and instantly lost her leadership position, with the Duroche in the room. Dr. Crusher reports that Worf is dehydrated, exhausted, has some broken ribs, but he will recover fully. In response to Riker's query as to how he is feeling, Picard says, fine, number one. And wonders aloud how Kerr is doing all alone in that dark place forever. In that stark place, we see that Ool has completely transitioned to the pocket dimension. But rather than being dead, as Dr. Crusher and Deanna feared, he is quite alive. Kerr and Ool are together again, after decades of separation. They embrace each other in ecstasy, apparently not caring where they spend their eternity, as long as they are together. Ah. Picard's log entry wraps things up as he reports on the mostly unsatisfying conclusion of this affair. Neither Deroshians or Julins will be brought to task for their kidnapping of Worf, firing missiles upon the Enterprise, or attacking a patient at Dr. Crusher's care. On the upside, Elios fours application to the Federation will be shelved indefinitely until they can prove massive changes have taken place. Speaker Kajal has pledged extensive reforms after learning of Diron's assassination program. Picard, eager to put all this behind him, orders course change to quotes Engage.
0: The end. Interesting. Mm. There you go. Kronos. Kronos. Why? Konos. Kronos. Kronos? Did it say why they were going? Nope. Didn't say. Okay. Engaged. Not Not because Worf was dehydrated and needed a blood transfusion or anything? No. No, they didn't say that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah they okay. must have some way of uh, manufacturing
1: blood. They had to do something for all these alien races.
0: Right. If you you can make synthetic alcohol, you can make synthetic blood. (laughs) Same thing, right? No. (laughs) One thing? Yeah. Not quite the same. (laughs) So anyway, so they were just beaming them away from the uh, Zor universe. Oh my god, I hated that. How do you do coordinates for a different dimension? Uh, Okay, so, but then why, were they getting each individual coordinate to beam two at a time? Because it seemed like she just gave the coordinates once, and then then they were deciding who got the beam. Um, I th- yeah, I think Picard and company were some. I mean, they were
1: seeing where people were, where the transporter beams were, and I guess people moved into them.
0: I I don't know. Well, why couldn't they do it one more time and Kerr and what's his face jump into that?
1: I, I didn't understand
0: agree. her sacrifice because it well, seemed like all they had to do was beam it one more time and. We could have beamed at least her back. I agree, because you would have... Been, and why did they think that... Okay, so they
1: assumed that Ool was going to die. Well, I don't but, understand
0: why, because well, everybody else lived. They gave a lame excuse. <laughs> right. They
1: gave a lame excuse. So it was like no one expected him to make it across. But it's like, well, why wouldn't you have thought maybe that happened?
0: Right. And, and, and if, if it didn't case, happen... yeah. If he came back as a dead guy, then Kerr probably doesn't want to stay there anymore. <laughs> so go ahead and try to fish her out instead of just automatically saying, "Oh, she doesn't want to come back. Yeah. At least run the transporter. I mean, once you've got the last across and you've got the situation
1: with Worf under control, try beaming more. At least right. give
0: her a shot. Exactly. To step into the transporter vehicle right cuz now they're just going to stay there and starve to death i don't understand
1: well there's certainly no food right
0: you know i you know
1: it's really nice at the end where they leave them uh you know oh, we're together again how wonderful it's like ah. it, no one's looking ool <laughs> is definitely not
0: looking around you <laughs> you're going to be pretty happy for about a day and then your next couple of days are going to suck really bad and then you're going to be dead uh exactly because you're going to be dehydrated (laughs) right anyway so anyway so what'd you think of the story overall did you like it not like it uh you know you know i kind of did like it i mean this is by far
1: in no way shape or form a top making any top 10 lists of mine however i did like it in the fact that you know there was some good payoff at the end um but you had to go through a lot of story dissonance to, I mean, you had to go through a lot of story to be able to get to it. Um, right. And the story had a lot of a lot of problems to, to resolve. And, you know, it was kind of messy. So, you know, I think in some ways, this is more like a Star Trek story for adults in some ways. Um, right. And, you know, real life is, you know, really messy often. And, you know, it's a mixed bag of... You know, you never get what you want. Well, almost never get what you want. And you often get what you need, uh, to quote the Rolling Stones. But, you know, I, I guess I, in some ways I like it from that standpoint. You know, everything didn't happen. Everything didn't end up just perfectly. You know, the DeRoche and, uh, and the other guys didn't embrace each other at the end, saying, oh, my gosh, we were so wrong.
0: Oh, my <laughs> gosh.
1: Let's get together and form one nation. Yeah, right. You know, so, you know, it, it was messy. Um, so in some ways, I, I, I kind of liked it from that standpoint. But yeah, you're right. It was boring. And it like <laughs> took forever to finish. And yeah.
0: Right. What'd you think? I, you know, I really liked uh, the love story part. Okay. I, I, I don't know why, but that really resonated that uh, that was a, that was really good. Uh, I just didn't like the resolution in that they're both stuck in this other universe (laughs) kind of unnecessarily. And, you know, are they going to be able to live forever because they're going to live on Zor energy? Or are they going to die in three days or, you know, whatever because of starvation? Yeah. Don't know. Yeah. Well, they don't don't really want you to think about that too much. (laughs) Well, they don't. Or, Or
1: maybe if you think about it, it's like it doesn't matter.
0: Love they're going to die all, together.
1: And they're with each other, and if they die together, then so be it. Right. I mean, it. You know, it's like the old, uh, like you're stranded on a desert island with the love of your life. Oh, my God, that's wonderful. Until, you know, does a deserted island have fresh water and food? And are you going to get a disease? And, you know.
0: Well, well, speaking of romance uh, and drama. Mm-hmm. Um. I thought all along this was going to have some sort of analogous storyline to Romeo and Juliet. Oh. Their names are the Juliets, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, spelled a little differently, but Juliet. I kept thinking, okay, so there's going to be somehow some some nod to Romeo and Juliet, you know. And then, especially when she was like, I- "I'm going to, I-, I want to stay," you know, it was almost like the sacrifice uh, Juliet does. Kills herself because Mm -hmm. she thinks Romeo's dead, blah, 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 blah. Or no, Romeo really is dead. She's killing herself because he thought she was dead. Anyway, so I was like, okay, this is where it's all going to pay off. This is where the Romeo and Juliet part kicks in. But it didn't happen. I mean, she just kind of sacrificed herself for no reason. And then to stay over there in the universe where he's going to be. So in a way, it kind of has the tragic ending that Romeo and Juliet has. But it really didn't explain anything. I mean, I wish there was some reason why they couldn't both come back you know because if they came back they couldn't be together because they would be out of time or out of sync of time or something some sort of explanation as to why both of them would be better in that universe than coming back to the real one right you know maybe you know he was really really old you know or you know if he came back he would uh Have some sort of... Maybe his arm wouldn't come back. Who knows? Anyways, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I just wish there was something there to justify why that's a better ending than both of them coming back and living in the real universe. Right.
1: Interesting point about the uh, Romeo-Juliet connection. I did not see that.
0: Right. And then especially with the two warring factions, I was like, all right, those are the... The Montagues and the Capulets and stuff like that, and I kept thinking, "Well, what if she's really, you know, the other faction that his wife is, and mm-hmm. and maybe that was going to be where they were going to go with it that that they were one was from each each of these uh, warring factions, but they didn't. They're no, both they're both, they're both the same. Yeah. That's Anywho, maybe it was a I was reading too much into it.
1: Yeah. Well, I there is kind of an angle there. Right. I, I did not see it, but I, I do agree with you. So I thought it was very symbolic when Worf got free and he attacked the Executioner. So it's like it's like the closest thing Worf can be to fighting death itself. So I thought that was really kind of cool, but also kind of dumb. You know, If I got free, I wouldn't go after the Executioner. I would go after w- Warwick. Kill
0: Warwick. Come on. But she's not the one with the axe at that moment.
1: Why? Well, that yes, but come on. <laughs> in the end, you can get another person with an axe, but you cut off the head of the serpent. There, you got something going. Right. Anyway. Yeah. Of course, <laughs> you probably wouldn't kill been killed right away, but whatever. Right. By Even everybody that. else in the room, but you know, whatever. Right. at least you take Warwick out. And that's a warrior's death. If you can kill the leader of your enemy,
0: that's a warrior's death. Right, but he would he do that because that would uh, put that would not be part of the prime directive or Federation way. Or well, something. you know, at that point you're about to get killed. I the heck with <laughs> it. Prime go, directive ideals go to the wayside when you're about to get killed.
1: I I would think so. I would think so.
0: I really liked the Stovacor scene or whatever mm-hmm. that was uh, because the only time I remember seeing Stovacor was in um, Star Trek Voyager. Mm-hmm. and this is what it looked like it, you know this is what it looked like when she got off the boat and there was the gates and stuff like mm-hmm. that so Belana being the she I was talking about right? right. Um, so I really liked that thought that was good
1: yeah um, I really liked how Data became Mr. Ninja on his little reconnaissance trip in the uh, Daroche city uh, I didn't see him wearing a ninja outfit Ah. Uh, <laughs> Well, OK, so I find it difficult to believe that he would have been able to be hanging out in a Starfleet uniform
0: <laughs>
1: uh, for that long in their city. I mean, it looked like a fairly densely populated place. And he's like, he's all over the place. Hey, he's setting up, you know, a triangulation or whatever dishes he's, you know, looking around trying to find Wharf. I mean, he's doing all kinds of stuff and, you know, nobody seems to find him. Right, and it's like that's not a usual outfit down there. I mean, or skin tone, or skin tone. You know, if he would have like, you know, he beams down and then he grabs one of the drosh guards or something and then
0: put on the uniform. You know, that would be a little bit more understandable. Well, they had plenty of they had plenty of uh, exposure to those uniforms. They could have had the quartermaster beaming that down too. One. Fine, but something. Yeah, and that would have looked cool, him running around in those robes with the <laughs> that, helmet on. Well,
1: I think it looked cool with, with Data in his uniform, but it just didn't make a lot of sense that he could stay undetected that long. Right, I agree. I mean, these guys are supposed
0: to be like warrior guys, you know. So, Yeah, they would notice a big yellow spot running around. Probably, probably. Anyway, now,
1: now, mind you, it is Data, so even though they don't show him do a six million dollar man stuff very often i mean he, he could he he's fast man i mean he's faster than a human he's stronger than a human so better looking than a human oh wait what uh, what <laughs> <laughs> uh so you know if anybody could be really quiet and uh you know move real fast in between the shadows would be be data but come on he's
0: down there for how long like like hours Right. Did you notice that when he was uh, communicating with O'Brien, he was tapping the wrong side of his chest?
1: Oh, was he? I did not notice
0: that. Yeah. Good point.
1: Good catch. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's see. I, okay. Um, okay, so I apparently I wrote down a little rant. Talking oh. about the idea of the coordinates to a different dimension. Eleven? What? No, no. I, a rant.
0: A rant. I know. Well, Tell he me that was points. that was what they said. Remember, they were like, "Oh, was oh, right. an eleven meaning this?" Uh huh. I thought that was actually kind of good. Anyways, go ahead. What's your rant? Uh,
1: okay. So the whole thing sounds like pure fantasy. I mean, even spatial coordinates are amazing to me that they can have spatial coordinates that can say exactly where you are. I mean, we're used to, you know, longitude, latitude on the planet. And, and I know in space, they've already got all that kind of stuff worked out. But between dimensions, how do you do that? Anyway, so how, how exactly do you figure out a coordinate system for them to even send to Jordan? So, yeah, they had some kind of tricorder thing. And, oh, they had a lot of time to research the, the, the Zool power. What did the Zool research have to do with this pocket dimension? Maybe not a darn thing. But there, apparently the the tricorder, whatever the device was, you know, maybe the, um, the Texas Instruments digital calculator that she's using, that's spitting out all these coordinates, apparently came from the other researchers that came there later. But how would that thing know how to send coordinates? I mean, I don't know. The whole thing didn't make sense. And then uh, exactly how does Geordie even know how to use those coordinates? I mean, even if it was given in um, base 10, you know, digital, you right. know, normal base 10 numbers, uh, how would you know how to use these coordinates? I mean, between dimensions? I... And then uh, they didn't even have a transform engine to use, but somehow they were able to travel between dimensions.
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> Well they can beam it. You they could always ah, do that. That's ah, always been the reason ah, to get into another dimension. Uh, okay. Well, okay. So you're talking about like mirror mirror and stuff, right? Yeah.
1: Okay, so it's harkening back to that, but still. Oh my god. <laughs> and so so did they actually use UL as the conduit for the transporter beam? They kind of they kind of sort of hinted at that maybe? Um, um...
0: I thought they were oh, yeah, that's the, the other thing.
1: Once he went all the way across, they wouldn't be able to not only communicate, but they wouldn't be able to transport people either. They somehow went through him. Okay. maybe So that's, there's, so that's why another reason why they couldn't bring her across or there keep transporting.
0: There you go. You figured it out. Thank you. Well, um, anyway, the whole thing was a big stretch. I did like how they mentioned uh, the different counting system using 12 instead of 10. Mm-hmm. Because yep. I've always said that, you know, every time you know, Jabba the Hutt shows up with four fingers, you know, he, he would yeah. be counting his money a little differently than the rest of us. Exactly. So I like how they acknowledge it here, but with 12 instead of 10, instead of smaller. Sorry. Yep. Well, like 16. Then I kind of felt Eight, bad just, that no I didn't catch that, uh, that they had extra fingers. Yeah, I, I didn't. But, Five uh, issues in, I didn't realize that they had extra fingers until they tell me.
1: Yeah,
0: well, and but then you then you look at the panels and it's like, oh yeah, they got a lot of fingers.
1: So I'm looking at the, um, one of the latter pages where they're right. in the pocket dimension or whatever, and yeah, there's two guys standing there. They got a bunch of fingers
0: extra, right? One extra. Even in last issue when uh, Kerr is holding Ull's hand, they yeah. they both have six fingers. Yep. Yeah. I never noticed. I didn't notice either, and I felt yeah. stupid. I was like, how did I miss that? Damn you. All right, and then my last comment is, wow, did it get a little grotesque when he was uh, slowly dissolving into the oh, other yeah. dimension. Yeah, that looked kind of cool. It looked cool, but <laughs> there was a time or two I was like, wow, they're really showing it all. Yeah, so like his his left jaw, part of his left jaw is completely
1: right. gone. So you're seeing like the inside of your jaw and stuff. Yeah, and he was crying. You know, there's a lot of people crying in this.
0: Yeah, it was a, it was a heartfelt show. Yeah. It had it had the feels, like I said. It it made you feel. It was just like it just maybe it took too long to get there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not too often the comic books elicit
1: emotion. I mean most of these comic books don't do
0: that. Right.
1: It's like, Oh yeah, hey, yeah, yeah, we're blowing up the bad guys. So that's all cool and everything. But um to really feel emotion, most stories don't do that. So Again, you know, a comic book for adults. Right, right. So I do appreciate that. And that's all I have to say.
0: I am done all with this. All right. Then uh, that's another one down. Another of the miniseries from IDW. There you go. Very cool. So uh, next week, Ken, you ready yes. for another Gold Key Theater? We got- oh, another one. There was so much
1: time between... The last one and the previous one, number two and number three, there was such a gap.
0: Still a good gap between these two, but uh, but we go oh, ahead. Not much. Not as much of a gap. No, much less. Yeah, because I think it was a year between the the second and third one. So yeah, we're trying to get them through a little bit faster. So next week we will do issue number twenty as Gold Key Theater. Wow. And then once we finish that, we'll be back into DC Comics uh, Volume 1. We'll do the next three issues there the The following episode after that. Sounds great. Looking yeah, forward I'm to excited. it. I'm excited. I'm excited for both of them. Yeah. I really enjoyed having Deep Space Nine, and I really enjoyed having Next Generation, these last two miniseries. Mm-hmm. And I'm very sad that you know we won't have any more Deep Space Nine unless they suddenly crank out a new one mm-hmm. um, through the for the rest of the our little venture here right. at uh, Star Trek Comic Book Review. Yeah, and we don't have that many Next Generation left either. So not that many, but we do have some at least. Yeah. Yeah. So getting close, getting close. Okay. All right. Well, hopefully everybody enjoyed this one, and uh, we'll be back next week. Sounds great. Thanks everybody for joining us on
1: the review. Later. Later. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios, Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at start comic book review at gmail.com.